All right, folks, welcome back to the Not Funny Guys Present Why, exploring philosophy, rhetoric, and culture and its cultural impact in the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm here with my best friend, or at least one of them, Eric. And Rick we are here to yes, we are here to explore and discuss different aspects and ideas floating around the MCU. As we, of course, on our main podcast, explore the films, we'll dive in here a little bit more into the ideas and the characters and start by posing the question, why? And so this is episode three, and uh, or as it will be listed on the on canon, in the canon, it will be 64.5. But it's episode three of why, and we're calling this one American Exceptionalism and Captain America. And since we got talking this week about Captain America, the first Avenger, along with Peggy Carter, the one shot and the two seasons of the short-lived and unfortunately canceled before it's time uh, television show, um, we're going to dive into this a little bit. Particularly this time, we're going to focus on introducing Captain America since he is going to be a, a pivotal character for us going forward. In a lot of ways, in the terms of the MCU, which I'll start with first, he in many ways here is our um, our final linchpin uh for the avengers as which we talked about with the end tag yeah but captain america or as he is full name stephen steve grant rogers and he is the creation of joe simon and jack kirby so not stan lee this was done earlier this is on the 19 1940 1941 um he first appeared in captain america number one which was published in december 1940 with a cover date of March 1941 by Timely Comics before that would become Marvel Comics. So, uh, when was the um when was the Stan Lee era just to clarify for he everyone? He was around during this era. He kind of came on board roughly around this time. Uh-huh. Stan Lee is more of what his really his era is more defined the 1960 onward. Oh, okay. That's when we get the Fantastic 4 and all that stuff and that's when uh Jack Kirby in many ways returned to Marvel. Okay. He had worked for Timely when then became Marvel later all kinds of fun branding things. I want to point something out to you. If you remember, uh, and I think we talked about this, and we saw it in the movie, the mm-hmm. very first issue of Captain America f- witnessed him punching Hitler in the face. A lot. <laughs> well, in the, in the comic book, the very first cover, he is punching Hitler in the face. All this right. is published in December of 1940 with a cover date of March 1941. If we know our history, there's something interesting about that point in time. Where is America in 1940-slash-early-1941? Do we know our history? Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, we're quote-unquote neutral. Yeah. Um, but by neutral, we're essentially what we are to Ukraine, which is yeah. like, oh, yeah, here's some funding. Here's some weaponry here's some things that we're just selling we're just asking questions about these things right yeah lynn lease that we are technically a neutral party so Mm -hmm. it's to say that in the real world him punching hitler in the face actually had real world consequences because there was in the time before we entered the war a strong pro-germany faction in america we had a nazi rally at madison square garden for crying out loud um, and so members of the the boon, some of their organizations showed up at the Timely Comics offices wanting to protest and have it out. And Jack Kirby, being the brawler he was, literally said, I'll go down there and I'll handle them. <laughs> because he and Joe Simon, both being uh, sons of immigrants and Jewish, mm-hmm. already recognized the threat that Hitler was. 
Sure. They had no doubts about what the, what he represented, whether America was in the war or not. Part of why they represented it on the cover like they did. Exactly. I'm sure. So they were they were way ahead of the curve. Now, of course. Wait, did he go down and handle them? I mean, I don't know the full kicks tale of that one. Did. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to mess with Jack Kirby. I've seen that man when he was younger. He had a sort of short, stocky build. He looked like he was scrapper. He's that guy who doesn't go down. He's he's no, uh, yeah. he's your Steve Rogers, right? He just keeps exactly. getting back up. Exactly. And so, of course, the Steve Rogers story in the comics book goes fairly close to what we saw in the films. Um, he is chosen as a scrawny guy to be a mm -hmm. part of a super soldier serum. He's transformed. Of course, Dr. Erskine is killed. And, of course, he gets a shield. And that they called it at the time an indestructible or nearly indestructible shield. They did not yet refer to it as vibranium. And, of course, when he starts going into the comic books, like every good comic book of the time, he needed a sidekick. And so they gave him a kid's sidekick named Bucky Barnes, who is not an adult. And they went off to fight Nazis in World War II and included met up with many other characters, including Namor, the original Human Torch, who you brought some interesting connections to um, Kang in our mm -hmm. main Victor podcast. Yeah. And his sidekick, Toro, and they were part of a team called Gordon. the Invaders. Right. And so Captain America was also represented a move by Timely Comics, Timely Comics's publisher, Martin Goodman, to capitalize on the success of the superhero genre, which was emerging, mm -hmm. thanks to the success they were having over at National Comics, which is the, what we one day we now call DC Comics. So, of course, when the war was over, Captain America did go into ice, but not the way you would see it in the movie. And rather... In the wake of World War II, there was a sharp decline in superheroes as a genre of comics. And so the character actually in the comic book slowly faded away. Hmm. Um, he actually at one point was charged with fighting commies early into the 1950s. And then he just kind of they stopped publishing it because it was no longer attractive or successful. Well, I was about to ask, was he part of the Korean War? Right. If you I will. don't know if he actually was even brought in for that one. But yeah. yeah. He kind of faded away. However, when they did decide to retroactively bring him back, they created a retroactive backstory where he final in a final fight with the Red Skull. He's on a rocket. Bucky falls to his death and he is presumed dead until he is rediscovered by the Avengers and Avengers number four. And of course, this is where they revived Captain America. And that Avengers was in 1963 under the helm of Stanley and Jack Kirby, who had returned to Marvel at that point. Hmm. So, even when we consider the comic book character, we have to always remember that Captain America has had rather a long and sometimes complicated career in the comics. If you go deep into his story, which we're not going to do here, but if you do, it is a rather deep story. And it's interesting when we compare that to the MCU version of him, because uh, if it does, his origin does very closely follow the comics like Thor. But of course, they paint Steve and Bucky's relationship a bit differently. They're more equals and, you know, age. They introduced a more prominent female character in the role of Agent Peggy Carter. That's not part of his comic book piece. And, of course, we do have a little bit of some anachronisms with the idea that this Steve Rogers is sort of clumsily trying to be a more modern, progressive male than right. his comic book counterpart would have ever been at that time. So, sure. Now, we've talked about this. Now that we talked about that, I want to talk about the other point that's going to tie into our discussion. And that is an idea of what we call American exceptionalism. Now, 
This term is floated around. There are a lot of people who have different opinions about it, but it is basically defined as a belief that the United States is either a distinctive, unique, or exemplary country compared to other nations. Uh, many proponents argue that the values, political system, and historical development of the U.S. are unique in human history, which I don't disagree with that. Uh, and But it's often sometimes an implication that America is both destined and entitled to play a distinct and positive role in the world stage. This is where we're starting to get problematic here. Mm. Most of the belief in this idea stems from Alexis de Tocqueville uh, during his time writing about America in the 1830s after he visited. Uh, but the term itself actually didn't become a real thing until the 1920s when apparently some uh, intra-communist party guys in America were fighting over what America was. That's when the term finally emerged. But the basic idea goes back to Alexis de Tocqueville. Um now, as a term in social sciences, American conceptualism typically refers to the United States status as a global outlier. Okay, Critics of the concept claim that the idea of American exceptionalism suggests that the U.S. is better than other countries, has a superior culture, has a unique mission to transform the planet and its inhabitants. This is where we get that good old America. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to see a great, by the way, go watch Team America World Police if you ever want to see the most ridiculous, over-the-top version of what American exceptionalism looks like. Well, it's true. They did a brilliant job of yeah. just painting that one with a broad brush. Truly want, satirical of, of American Yes, very satirical, but very much, um, I would unfortunately say some people might take that too far. Uh, <laughs> now, when we talk about exceptionalism, we have to keep in mind that the term both means that we are somehow an exception to the rule as also somehow exceptional in the sense that we are overly important. Hmm, okay. And of course, the Pew Research has noted back in 2006 that they really breaks down into three types of American exceptionalism. And they say in pursuing these differences, it's helpful to differentiate between the three types of American exceptionalism that shape both the way U.S. citizens look at the world and the ways at which the world looks at them. And here are the three types. We have misunderstood exceptionalism, this is the idea that American values and attitudes uh, that many in the United States uh, hold as well as a broad regard as part of the problem, though there is little evidence to support this uh, contention that somehow America is more a problem than a help. We have oh, what's called okay. conditional exceptionalism, um, aspects of American character that are distinctive, but not so much in a way that they are destined to do consistently divide the American people from the rest of the world. These include values and attitudes that are products of the times or subjects of the course of events that influence American leadership. And then we have what's called the problematic exceptionalism. This is how Americans sometimes view themselves, their country, and the world as it reflects a potentially unbridgeable, persistent gaps um, where America is somehow very much above and beyond um the rest of the world in ways that you know we are somehow superior in all ways this is where we get into satirical team america world police kind of mm -hmm. aspect here and what i would what i would think of as probably the most common thought in terms of the buzzword of american exceptional yes, this, is, yeah. this is the shall we say the negative connotation right the, the the mass media version yeah and so as it relates to captain america he is a lot and throughout his history has been kind of a lightning rod uh, for discussion in terms of American exceptionalism. I um, mean, if we look at Captain America, the first Avenger and the idea that it is kind of a, a propaganda film, 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's out there engaged, stylized in, the, in the, yeah, and you know, presenting this idea of an idealistic America. And some of the things we talked about in the pod, the, the main podcast, I think it's interesting to consider that because what I like to put it here as our discussion is what do we see are the negative, the positive and the negatives of American exceptionalism today as we see it as it relations to Captain America in the MCU. So not in terms of the comic book, but as we see him in the mass media of the films as depicted by Chris Evans, not my mother, not related, unfortunately. <laughs> So, like, in terms, so, like, the three variants of American exceptionalism that you kind of described, yes. the variants, not to, well, so not we to have, overuse yeah, so we that, have yeah. The misunderstood um, exceptionalism, the conditional, and the problematic. I think it's interesting to think about the misunderstood, um, yeah. because I think what Captain America is exerting, and this, I think in a lot of ways it's interesting because this stems from World War II. If you want to think about where American exceptionalism in the global sense takes off, it's post-World War II when we basically sort of stepped in to push everything over the top to win and make sure the good guys won. You know? I mean, that's kind of when we first set ourselves as a superpower, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where we get a lot of the idea. Hmm. And that's where, of course, the world became started to become ultra familiar with right. um, ours, perhaps in a way that maybe the misunderstood exceptionalism um, about the perception abroad uh, being misrepresented that somehow we're trying to impose our values, but we do. I mean, think about the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war. I mean, even before then. Yeah, no, Vietnam, even any of those. And that, that, I mean, (laughs) that's what we're talking there about exceptionalism as America pushing out this idea that we are the harbinger of democracy. And I think which would be the problematic exceptionalism. Well, that's that we slide right? the problematic one because the problematic one is really focused on how we at home view it. It's weird because I think in a lot of ways, and let's you know we're gonna get a little political here, but you know a little political. But in the age of Trump, I think mm. it's fascinating to see how we are full on willing to just dismiss the misunderstood exceptionalism. We don't want to touch it anymore, but we cling overtly and even more strongly to the problematic like america is great again but yet we're not going to be involved in the world around us kind of like we're not going to intervene like what we're doing in ukraine right now we wouldn't be doing that but yet somehow we're still in that category of exceptional but it's like a like an exclusive club that we're not letting anybody else into that's what we're turning it into in my opinion True. Yeah, no, I think, well, and that's where I think you have the the kind of, I think the, to me, the, the classifications are almost too simplified because the, the problematic um, exceptionalism seems to have many various branches of its own, right? I where think they, you over, say, they kind of overlap and branch. I think, and I think that there's justifiable actions that could be viewed as problematic, right? Well, let's, Which let's, just, it, let's basically return ourselves to just looking at what do we think is this the positive and negatives of an idea of American exceptionalism that we are something unique and we have something to offer the world? What do we see as the possible positive and negatives rather than let, letting ourselves get too caught up in those terminology? Well, right. I, it's natural to start with the positives. So I guess I'll start there. Um, I think, I think when we're at our best, there really is a belief in you know, what the constitution stands for and kind of going back to this founding principle of 
we should be able to decide for ourselves what works best for us, right? It is not up to one person and their family lineage. It is not up to one person and their money. And it is not up to one person and their social status, right? Or or any other combination of reasons to elevate one person above the others, right? Sure, we may think of, of democracy as elevating certain people or whatnot, but really it's about uh, the kind of the general voice of and the general belief and the general the general ability for a society to change itself right at the at the heart of it i guess in that way and so i think that that's the good of american exceptionalism is when we can promote that and i would say you a know, set of values a set of values right. and ideals that benefit the maximum amount of people in the world Right. You know, like I th- I even even like let me give you this example. I think that it, even though democracy is great, I think it's problematic because you have to understand that if you don't have a culture of democracy, you can't just drop it in right. somewhere and Agreed. make it work. Agreed. That's the problem. But the idea that you can model peaceful engagement, negotiations, compromise, and we're not setting a great example right now in our in our own country with this, unfortunately, but if we could get back to that ideal that has a lot of power that resonates in ways that people don't necessarily see the, the tangible benefits of it, but it like, it's like a soft power. It well, pro- I think, projects itself. And I think to that point, like what I was kind of going towards was the ideals of democracy yes. are universal, right? Yes. That is something that I think every culture and society has within it. It's the actual government of democracy that is incredibly difficult to just plop anywhere because that is a cultural uh, requirement like you said it has to be ingrained it has to be something that we build ourselves on or society builds itself on and i think that's where the problematic exceptionalism really does become problematic especially at a global scale is that we go off and we ship democracy as like an exportable good to other countries and if we go back to the places. Cold War, we get even more problematic in this because the idea of, like, say, the Cold War, like examples like Iran, mm-hmm. the mess that is Iran now is the U.S. and the British have a very heavy hand in that because not only did we um, give the, the British gave them independence, they then basically elected a socialist. And we decided, oops, can't have that. So we deposed him and elected government official and we put the shaw right and what did that do but just uh pay bad dividends later on because we were obsessed with this idea that communism was bad and so we put our thumb on the scale really hard and in fact contradicted ourselves we did similar things at vietnam and other places like that i mean uh i would think a great example was the uh, ho chi Minh before he was um held up as a pivotal leader in Vietnam. He wanted freedom. He showed up at the Paris peace talks after World War One, and Woodrow Wilson wouldn't talk to him. And I'm like, that right there, it's the arrogance that gets us in trouble. In our politics, right? Well, like I mean, the, po- the politics of it we're all. We're constantly swinging a pendulum here. Not only are we special, but we, of course we're special. America is a completely unique country. We have completely unique problems. Sure. No one yeah. else in the world has these problems because not everybody in the world is a multiracial culture the way we are. But at the same time... The way that we intend to be. Yes, the way we hope to be. And I think it's noble that we work to we those strive things. strive to be, yes. We strive to be, yes. We want to work towards those things. But at the same time, I think um, we can let ourselves too easily 
fall back on the idea of, oh, we're already special. We don't need mm-hmm. to do that. You know, we don't actually confront real problems sometimes. We skirt them under the rug because we're exceptional. We don't have to do that. It's like, and it's, you know what it reminds me of? It's like reminding me of the people I've known in my life who are very, 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 very smart. And some of them are really great people, but I've known people who are super smart, who don't, who didn't show up to class, but when they wanted to, didn't do work unless they wanted to. And people let them skate by because they were supposedly super smart. And I'm like, how is that not a problem potentially? You know, because look at, you know, think about the fact that we let our lives in a lot of ways be dictated to us by billionaires. People think Elon Musk is a genius. He might be a genius at certain things, but he is certainly not a genius at Twitter. I think that's that's broaching into to capitalism versus American exceptional, which arguably is the same at they a certain late. point. They yeah, certainly There's at a an point. idea that somehow we live in a world where somehow the idea is is that they fair capitalism. Rich, you know, yeah. Somehow that makes you exceptional mm-hmm. without ever considering the fact that how did you obtain that wealth? You know, did you obtain it through nepotism, through whatever, you know, these are the things that undermine any kind of exceptional argument. And we also like to portray the idea that somehow everybody can get that. And I'm like, not really. I was actually just thinking about this the other day. I was listening to somebody give a talk and someone was actually speaking about an experiment that mm-hmm. was carried out um, by a professor. There it is. No, that's not it. There, there it is. There is a... It was basically an, uh, an experiment by a gentleman by name Paul Piff called the Monopoly Experiment in which why rich people tend to think they deserve money. Okay, it was a psychology experiment where he basically rigged a game Monopoly mm-hmm. so that a certain set of people had more money than other people. And what it interestingly found was that the attitudes and behavior of the people who had more money, the way they not only perceived that they deserved it, but the fact that the ones who didn't have as much money were never going to catch them. It was an imbalanced playing field from the beginning. And it was in, what he was particularly interested in was the psychological impact and that the people who had less money, who wanted to have more money, would work harder and never get ahead. And the people who had the money would oftentimes think that they had an entitlement to it. That somehow it was a blessing unto them. It was like it was like it got into like almost like gospel, uh, prosperity gospel cuckoo crazy. Um, but I think that's interesting because I think you could see that as two sides of American exceptionalism right there. The idea that we are a prosperous, hardworking country. Anybody can come here and make it. That's one side of American exceptionalism. The other side is we're so special. We don't have to behave by the rules that everybody else plays by. I, I think that's not quite true. Right. I think that what I what I think, well, not that I think you're wrong either. I think that you're not maybe going far enough in that, like we're saying we don't need to play by the rules when in reality we're saying we should be creating the rules. Right. You're right. That that is the true definition of that exceptionalism. Right. We are far ahead of you all. Right. You you other societies can only dream of being America. So. Why should we stoop down to your rules when you should be meeting ours? But even when we have accepted rules, we feel that we can break them. Sure. That's also because part of the ex- we not only do we want to set the rules, but we feel obliged that we can break the rules whenever because we want we're to. in a, in the name of innovation. Right. And, and, and exceptional t- innovation. Exactly. To tie this back to what we saw in the movie. Look at Steve Rogers. Why do you think he was able to avoid a court martial after saving all those men? 
because he's exceptional, right. which he actually is. But he also happens to be a white guy. <laughs> he's a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> he's a white guy because yeah. they were going to hang Peggy Carter out to dry mm-hmm. or that. That's true. Because she's a woman. Not to mention, well, I wouldn't like to think what would happen if she'd been African American or anything else. But in fairness, yeah. they they let Peggy go once yes, they, they all too. came back because the reason they were hanging Peggy out to dry was all of them were presumed dead. Yes, <laughs> right. At no, that I point. understand that, but like you know, she obviously was working in a weird way. She had to work twice to three times. I mean, four times as hard as oh. Steve did. Sure, definitely, and she never still she got the, was. and yeah. her show got canceled. So I know. <laughs> when it was easily one of the best TV shows until they came on Disney Plus. Well, they should bring it back on Disney Plus with what they should. I blame maybe let's just blame ABC for that one. We'll like you know, it's it in fairness, it's a tough story to keep going without yeah. trying to with while then trying you know to hunt what? the Easter eggs. Give her a you know? movie. Give her a movie. Agreed. That's I, well, what I would or give her a limited series. Do you like what they're doing now? Spin off like of a what six if or eight episode kind of thing. Spin off from what be, if and, her, and go back her, to you know what? Yeah. even better. Do like a let her fill in some gaps. Have her do like a three episode arc in one time and then move her forward. Move mm. her forward. We could explore her whole career in Shield. You know, if we wanted to, we could actually follow her like a decade at a time. It would depend on the series that you know. Yeah. Is allow, allows that right which well, we have to go loki to season two may do something of that victor timely and all that right yeah who knows i'm just saying that would be fascinating to see that because or deadpool she is such an underappreciated character particularly considering how pivotal she is to shield yeah you yeah. know so just saying that would be interesting i'd love to see them de-age um what's his name again um michael douglas and let him oh gosh <laughs> you know actually that's one of the best de-agings i've ever seen i'm just saying that was like wow <laughs> of course they he next the guy at this point they could oh who else could they pull in for him <laughs> i'm sure know. they could they could there's gotta be some actor because they didn't do timothy chalamet is michael douglas <laughs> Endgame was not my favorite what he they did the first of ant-man that was good mm. the one they de-aged him in in uh and end game was a little like uncanny valley so well looking back i'm i'm anxious to get to the uh, iron man 3 de-aging with uh Robert Downey yes. now that now that it now that we've had better versions well, that's of it, Civil you know, War since... Civil War we're gonna see him oh later. Civil War sorry Civil War, thank yeah. you thank you all right well I think that do we have any final thoughts on American exceptionalism as it's seen in Captain America I think we're not gonna be done with this yet so I you think know we're not done. I I think I I ugh, I I struggle with this because I think I I land on both sides of the coin at times right there are times when I think like well yeah we've done some great shit in some little time and it is not to say that we should impose this upon people, but we should not be unproud of it either. And I feel we like it can lead. feel not not dominate. We should lead and and getting I political. There's there's I difference feel there. I feel that the Biden administration, God, God help us. Sorry for all you you people on the fence <laughs> and tuning out right now. I feel they've done a great job. Right. We have been very global players. We have led from behind in a lot of ways. And I feel like a lot of Ukraine is is the right move. Um, but at the same time, we've we've made ourselves we've been cautious think, too. We've been cautious, but we've also put ourselves at risk, right? To yeah. that to that end. Right. We are shipping weapons, we are shipping ammo. Those are things we no longer have for ourselves. And you know, the war games that we are gaming out with like Taiwan invasions and stuff like that show some weaknesses there. 
you know, that's was Wall Street Journal, I think, or someone like but that. Posted, standing up so. in Ukraine actually helps Taiwan, too. So for now, there's there's some benefits for now. You're right, because what we're demonstrating is that we are not a bit player. We're not fading away. And I think that is important that we stand up and lead because we do have a place and other people do follow us. Most of Europe follows well, us. But Europe's a lot different from Asia Pacific. No, they right? are. Who, who follows us there? Right. I think that's why we Japan, see ourselves getting South Korea, Australia. Well, that's why we see ourselves getting in deep with Modi, I think, to yeah, some extent. So, I mean, this is this is a whole different pod at, yeah. at this point if we keep going down this road. But, but. yes. And so I, I would say my final thoughts about American exceptionalism is I think it has it has, it's a two sided coin. And yeah. I think that what we have to always keep in mind with it is, yes, it is there. Yes, we are exceptional, but we should never we should always treat it like Peter Parker was told to treat power. Mm. We have a great responsibility when it comes to it. And I think that's important that we keep in mind. It's like alcohol. You drink too much of yes. it. You're going to get fucking wasted, man. So good in moderation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's it for us today. Um, make sure to check out our main episode. Episode 64 uh, comes out. It should be out now. Uh, the Uber Patriot clocks Hitler because America is what I've titled <laughs> that episode. So that should be fun. I'm, I'm having fun with that. Uh, as for everything else, uh, write us, tell us your thoughts, not only about the, this, but the main podcast, write us mm -hmm. at not funny guys dot off the reels at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents. And now on Twitter at not funny guys pod. Uh, so this is us signing only off. Only took a year. Signing <laughs> off till next week. Um, come back and join us again. Listen to our main episode as we go deep on Captain America and, Agent Carter, and we're looking forward as we come upon Avengers. And can I just say, happy Fourth of July, God damn it! <laughs> All right, guys, America. See ya. <laughs> 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 <laughs>